Well, good morning to you. Now, this is the first day of the year. Now, I want you to talk to me like you like me. Good morning. Oh, I love that when you come alive. It's so good to see you all here today. Uh, before we begin, I need to thank everybody, me and B.R. do, for all the the gifts and presents and the food we've received over the last few weeks. Uh, it's always a, a humbling experience. Uh, it's hard to believe, but I get embarrassed very easily. And uh, it, it's always humbling to me uh, when people are so good to me. And uh, I can't think of being anywhere would I be treated any better than you all treat me and my wife and my kids for that matter. Uh, it's been a wonderful 32 years and uh, I'd like to say I wish there'd be 32 more but um, that's a little iffy we'll we'll take it day by day but thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts for thinking of us and uh, doing something to make our day a little bit better we love you all uh, very very deeply Yesterday, uh, I, I was tweaking a sermon I had written, and uh, Chris come over, and he said, hey, you're preaching a New Year's sermon tomorrow, ain't you? I said, what? What are you talking about? He said, tomorrow's New Year's, first day of the year. Surely you're going to say something that has to do with a new beginning. And, I, you know, it didn't ever even cross my mind. I forgot it was New Year's. I usually don't remember holidays till the day of, but uh, I had to get to work and scramble up something. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll take, I know what I'll do. I'll, uh, I'll let you all know what I do on the first day of each year. Uh, I always take a self-inspection, and I always uh, determine to strengthen my resolve to walk closer with the Lord in the coming year than I did in the past year. I think it's important for us to, number one, examine ourselves regularly, and number two, remember who we are and what we hope to achieve in this life. I know where I came from, I know why I'm here. I know what I am. I'm a body and a spirit. I know I'm going to die. And I know my spirit is going to go into the spirit world. And over the years, I've gotten, my faith has become stronger and stronger and stronger in my belief in the world beyond this world. And I want so very badly to go to heaven. Failure is not an option for me anymore. I want to go to heaven so bad I can taste it for a lot of reasons. And the possibility of missing it is just too overwhelming to consider much. So on a regular basis, I strengthen my resolve 
to walk with the Lord just a little bit closer. And that's what I want to do with you today. I hope I can convince you to strengthen your resolve. <clears throat> I don't make resolutions. I used to make resolutions. I don't think I ever kept any of them. About the longest one I ever had, I think, went out to March. But generally, they, generally they're gone about the first week. But uh, this one here, this is one that uh, I stick with, try to. I've got my own shortcomings. I ain't going to lie to you. But I've learned how to get up, wipe myself off, and go again. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about strengthening your resolve in the coming year. I'm more determined than ever to be successful in my walk with the Lord Jesus. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which the Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We once were in bondage. We were slaves to sin. And thankfully, we escaped that bondage. And we were set free. That was made possible by the Son of God. He willingly gave himself as an atonement for our sins. That by his blood, our sins could be forgiven, washed away. That he paid the price for our sins that we could be set free. Set free from the bondage of sin. Set free from the fear of death. Set free from having no hope in this world. But running as hard as we could with nowhere to go. Christ freed us from everything that hurt us in this world. And Paul says, now stand fast in that freedom. Don't give it up. Throughout the New Testament especially, there are many passages like this that encourage us to be strong in the Lord. The Lord, having experienced life as you and I do, the Lord knows the pool of temptation. He knows how hard it is for us to overcome the tempter. Sometimes we want so badly to give in, but we have to fight ourselves. And sometimes, sometimes we, we lose the fight. And we sin against the one that made us free, who gave us hope of a life to come. And not just us, but our families. Oh, my. If there's one thing I could pass on to my children, it was a knowledge of God. And I believe I received my wish. Striving not to 
fall away is a lifelong work. It never stops. I know some people, they think they're useless. They're no count because they're constantly fighting the same sin over and over and over. That's called in the scripture, that's called the besetting sin. You see, God knows we've got them. There are sins which so easily beset me, and they so easily beset you. They're not the same, but we've all got our weak points. We've all got those sensitive areas. And Satan, being the wily character that he is, he knows what our weak point is. And don't think he's anything going to thrust darts at us, for he shall. Time and again, we fight, and we fight, and we fight, trying to overcome temptation, trying not to get mad, trying not to strike back, trying not to say something that we should not say. It's a battle. It's a lifelong battle. And the longer we battle, the harder the battles become because the more our faith increases, the hotter the darts of Satan's going to be. So it doesn't get easier, it gets harder. And it will be hard until the day we finally give up the ghost. And then we are set free for the last time. The day will come, I think we all know that. The day will come when we are set free from this body and we shall go on to be with those who have gone on before us as well as the Lord Almighty. But we've got to remind ourselves time and again, I am resolved and no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delights. The things that are higher, those things that are nobler, these now allure my sight. I will hasten to him. I try to do that every first day of the year. I believe I do. But you know how the memory is when you get older. What was read a moment ago, I like to repeat one more time. Jesus had been preaching to the Jewish people, and many of those people, they believed him. They believed in him. And that's where verse 30 takes up. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. And then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, these were believers now, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. Freedom, that's what we're talking about. Liberty. Having been set free from the clutches of this world. Notice how we achieve it. Number one, if you abide in my word. That means basically to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Apply the principles of the Lord to my life. To know that I need to turn the other cheek. Doesn't mean I always will. But I know I should. And if God forbid I give in, 
I know I can pray to my Father and ask for forgiveness. And if I'm asking from a sincere heart, I will be forgiven. I know these things. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. That means he claims us. We claim Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. But the real question is, does he claim me? Well, if I abide in his word, I know he shall. And if you abide in my word, then you shall know the truth. You're not, it's not might know, likely know. You shall know the truth. That doesn't mean that we're going to be zapped with all kinds of knowledge. What it means is by abiding in his word, by knowing what he wants us to do, by living it, experiencing his way over, let's call it the way of the world, we're going to come to greater knowledge of truth and understanding. There was a time when I didn't really understand why you turned the other cheek. That's not what people do. But I've got to the point now where I understand the purpose behind it. It's not so much having to restrain myself from striking back. It's about developing my own character. I don't have to turn the other cheek for the sake of the other fella. I have to turn the other cheek for my own sake. Because when I turn my, the other cheek, I'm changing on the inside. I'm becoming more and more like the Son of God. We know it, the Bible teaches it, but now I've lived it. And I believe it with all my heart. If you abide in my word, you shall know the truth. Sometimes folks say, well, I don't know the truth. Well, people who just become a Christian, of course they don't know much truth. They haven't had an opportunity to learn. But when a person's been a, a Christian for years and years and years, and they say, I just don't understand the Bible, an alarm goes off in my head. Something's wrong because Jesus made a promise. If you abide in my word, you shall know the truth. If a person doesn't know the truth, after years of exposure to it, the problem may be that they're not abiding in it. It's not just about knowing words. It's about living those words. That's where the knowledge comes from, the understanding, and best of all, the faith and the love for God. The danger of backsliding is taught over and over in Scripture, falling away, whatever you want to call it, becoming weak. How many of us haven't become weak in the faith? How many of us haven't become bored with our life as a Christian? How many of us haven't become tired of watching evil people prosper while we sometimes barely pay the bills? Why do good people prosper Why? I mean, bad people prosper. Why good people suffer? It doesn't make sense. 
we become a little bit angry. And we start wondering, is it true? Is my devotion to Christ, is it true? Or am I wasting my time? Have I believed a lie? That doesn't mean you're evil. That means you're in the process of learning. And questions like that will arise. You can't let them beat you down. You've got to resolve that you're going to win the race of life. Let no one, no thing, take that away from you. Talk to people. Talk to me. Come to the house. Call me on the telephone. But talk. Get it out in the open. The danger of backsliding was taught by Jude. Jude began saying in verse 3, Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude intended to write about our common salvation to these people. But the situation was such at this time that that wasn't the right message to send. He had to encourage people to contend earnestly for the faith. Their faith was under attack. It was being assaulted. And they were going to have to strengthen themselves, spiritually speaking, so that they'd be able to withstand those temptations that create so many heartaches. He said, this is why I've had to write to you, but I want to remind you that, oh, you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, I want to remind you, though you once knew this, they knew it, but they didn't think about that right now. Things were going very well. But they needed to be reminded about what happened to ancient Israel. The Lord, he saved his people, Israel, out of the land of Egypt. And afterward, he had to destroy those who did not believe. Sometimes we think about how sad it is for all them Israelite bodies laying out in the wilderness of the Sinai. For 40 years, they traversed back and forth across the peninsula. And those, when they had committed their sin against God, those who were 20 years and above were going to have to die in the wilderness because the Lord was not going to let them enter into the land of promise. Their sin was too great. Their sin was too grievous. Though he took the time and the effort to bring them out of Egypt, he did not let them go into the land of Canaan. A good start doesn't ensure a good ending. And it's so sad 
And this was a warning to the people today. You're no better than those folks were. You started well. But you're going to have to end well. You're going to have to remain faithful. You're going to have to be true. When you get those doubts, you're going to have to work to get rid of the doubts. Not by wishing them away, but finding reasons. Having something you can hold on to. The Lord doesn't expect us to believe things just because we're supposed to. He expects us to believe things because he's given us evidence that teaches us that what he says is true. You can't wash a doubt away. You just got to find the right answers, that's all. And they exist, they're there. But don't give up, because if we do, if we do, we can't enter into the promised land. Like ancient Israel that stands as an example for us all, 1 Corinthians 10, we too could perish in this wilderness. And we can't have that. Not a one of us can perish in this wilderness. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And then what about the angels, he says, secondly? In the beginning, God created everything that exists, except himself, of course, he being eternal. That means that God created the angels in those six days. God created the angels. And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, when God was finished and he looked at his creation, he said, it is very good. Everything he created was very good. What about the angels? Very good. They were sinless beings. Beings who could be tempted, but beings who are so spiritually strong that they can overcome the temptation if they choose to do so. Some of them did not choose to do so. Satan rose up amongst them and had a following. And this is what Jude is talking about. Remember the angels who did not keep their proper domain, heaven, but left their own abode, their position in all things. They left their own abode, and now God has reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah, such a sad, sad ending. Sodom and Gomorrah existed down around the Dead Sea area. The folks there had lived very well. They had gotten by very well. I think they might have been a lot like us. A very prosperous people who were fortunate enough to enjoy life. But unfortunately, their prosperity led them down the road of destruction. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them? There were three other cities. They're mentioned in other places, but not 
in Jude's text. As Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities that were around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh. Homosexuality was very common in the region at this time. The people had become morally bankrupt. Fornication, adultery were very common. Men with men, women with women, doing things that they ought not do. And God was watching. He had blessed them greatly. And they turned their backs on him. They rejected his mercy. They spit in his face. Sometimes when I think about our culture and what's happening to it, I think about places like Sodom and Gomorrah. We too have been very prosperous. But it seems to me that the more prosperous we become, and you know, we talk about being bankrupt and poor and all this stuff. But you know, uh, I don't know, I'm sure, I'm doing very well. I don't have to worry about where the next meal's coming from. Don't have to worry about paying a house payment. I'm getting by just fine. The problem is sometimes when we do prosper, we lose our moral footing. When we're not prospering, when we're suffering, we're looking up to God for help. We pray frequently, constantly wanting something. But when we're doing well, it could be that we forget about God. This, this has been my custom in the past. There was a time when I was just downright ashamed of my prayer life. I got to the point where I was hardly praying to the Lord. I'm, I'm not talking about praying when we eat or praying in the church service. I'm talking about just talking to my Father in heaven. I was gotten to the point that I didn't do that. And I was so ashamed. And I begged God, forgive me. I promised I would try to do better. And I did for a little while. Then I'd slack off again. But I'd pray to God again. And I'd do better until I slacked off again. And then finally, I got to the point we're praying to the Lord became very natural. I can't say I never waver. I do. But I do better than I used to do. That's what life's about. This is a testing ground. We get pushed from the left. We get pulled from the right constantly engaging in the battle of life. The spirit's trying to overcome the flesh. The flesh tries to overcome the spirit. And the fight is on. And we feel like we're such losers. How come I commit the same sin over again? How could a man who claims to be a child of God knowingly sin against God? 
I ain't worth saving. God doesn't want me. Why would he? And doubt, all doubt, they kill us. Sometimes we prosper and we thank God we do. But remember that when we prosper, we still must be diligent to serve the Lord in a spiritual capacity. Lest we give way as well. These folks had gone after fornication, the barn doors wide open, homosexuality. And these are set forth as an example to the people Jude wrote to. But they're also set forth as an example for you and I today. The Lord's telling us, remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Remember why it happened? You're not greater than they are. Because they refused to listen to me. It's not because they committed a sin, but they kept on committing a sin and they had no intention of turning away from it. And the point is, if you do like they did, you'll wind up as they did also, suffering the vengeance vengeance of eternal fire. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of what we're doing here. The Lord created us for a reason. He wants us to weigh in the balances him and mammon. He wants us to make a decision. Whom do I choose to serve? The God of heaven or my belly? We've made our decision. But sometimes every single one of us gets a little bit weak. When you do, repent. Ask the Lord to forgive you. He will. Don't continue on that way. Too much at stake. Too much at stake. We have to be careful. I should be talking about the parable of the sower right now, but I've already run out of time. Let me summarize it. A sower went forth to sow the word of God, preaching. A preacher went forth to preach. And as he sowed, that seed, the word of God, fell on four types of soil. One was hard ground. That's the, that's the path that a dog walks every day. You've seen them? A dog goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then all you see is a, a hard dirt path. That's the wayward soil. You throw the seed on it, the word of God, what happens? It just sits there. A bird will come, swoop it up and go. The second soil was he calls uh, a, a thorny soil. There was weeds in the earth. At least there was the seed of weeds, weed seed in the earth. And as the crop began to grow, so did the weeds. 
And in a matter of time, the weeds were taller than the crop. And then finally, the weeds killed the crop. That's us living in our prosperity. As we live, we've been blessed mightily. The problem is, the blessings we've received set up a potential for us to become so enamored by the things of this world that we focus on this life instead of the next life. And like the crop that was sown, we too can be choked out by those weeds. I can't remember the third soil. Shallow. That was it. There was a shallow soil. Beneath the surface of the earth, there was rock. And there was only a little bit of dirt. And when the seed, the word of God, was thrown into that earth, it grew, but the roots had nowhere to go. The roots hit the rock, and they would come back up. Well, then the sun got hot, and it scorched the plant, and the plant died. That's you and I. There are so many things that can cause us to die spiritually. Slow process, but effective. And then there's the good ground. Like the other three soils, the good ground also receives the seed, the word of God. The difference is the good soil accepts the seed and becomes fruitful. That's what you and I are to be, fruitful. As we live... I'm not suggesting we're going to be perfect. If you know me, you know I would never do that. Only that, number one, we want to be. And number two, we'll repent to the Lord when we fail him. And then number three, we'll get back in the race. None of us can perish. That's unacceptable, folks. We can't have that. We can't stand that. So let's resolve again. No longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Let's resolve to walk with the Lord as close as we can. Set a good example for our family. Set a good example for our children and our grandchildren. And our great-grandchildren. Please. I beg you with all my heart. Please, please, please. Don't give up. When you get in doubt, you come and talk to me. We'll work it out. But don't give up. Please. Don't give up. If you're not a Christian, you're not in the race of life, 
you haven't begun to do what we were put here to do in the first place, and that is to choose between God and mammon. You haven't given yourself a chance, an opportunity to smell the roses, so to speak. The Lord wants you to examine the evidence and then to draw the conclusion, rational as it is, that you believe in the Son of God, who he is and what he's done, that you repent. I'm going to quit sinning against God to the best of my ability. He wants us to confess him before other people like I do right now. And he wants us to be immersed in water. That's what God chose for us to do. And that's what we do. My brothers and sisters, don't give up.